Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of Non-Dollar Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialist, Dan Navruzzi and Joanne Spadagam. Okay, pretty volatile week in markets. We've met um, a lot of our kind of long-term targets, certainly on this side of the pond in, in gilts and in buns. Um, and we've obviously seen major moves in treasuries. So um, let's go through those, I suppose. All right, Imogen, like you pointed out, markets have been pretty volatile and we have indeed met some key resistance levels, I, I would say across, you know, kind of like uh, developed markets rates. So uh, what's your view here? Do you think uh, we will get a clear direction of travel or are we kind of, are we going to be stuck in a little bit of like a choppy trading range? Um, I'll try and keep this concise because I think I have <laughs> lots of thoughts on on both sides of that. Um, but yeah, as you say, Jan, we've kind of met key levels. Regular listeners will know that that key targets for us have been the four point six percent level in ten year gilts, three uh, percent level in ten year buns. They've kind of been long held targets for us for a lot of this year, um, and you know we perhaps didn't expect to meet them as quite as quickly as we have or in in such a short space of time. Um, from lower yield levels um, but clearly you know meeting those targets gives us a moment to kind of reassess and understand where we think rates are going from here um i'll cover the uk side then obviously of course joanne you can cover what we think about buns and euro rates but but on the uk i guess that 4.6 percent and to put that into context we had a 4.9 percent target on 30-year gilts so we're slightly higher than our um, what had been our target on 30-year gilts that was kind of the output of our fair value model. It, we call it a sort of fundamental factor model. It takes into account our views on bank rate, on inflation, on supply and demand. Um, and of course, you know, just because the market has been volatile and the market has moved doesn't mean that our view on those underlying factors has necessarily changed. So our fair value, if you like, still tells us that that gilts should be, or 10-year gilts should be around 4.6%. Of course, that doesn't mean that markets will trade exactly in line with fair value. Um, but last time that gilts did get to this level, to these kind of highs in yields, um, we'd had it once at the beginning of July. We've had it once in the beginning of August or middle of August. Um, they rallied back almost immediately. Um, and I guess the question now is, is this a key resistance level? And we see demand kind of come back in quite significantly like we did previously. Or do we think that there's further to go? Um, and I guess in assessing that, I'm kind of, looking at the underlying conditions of the market when we saw those peaks back in August, back in June, uh, and how or why it might be different now. Um, from a global perspective, I think the kind of demand for duration looks different. Um, the previous peaks that we've seen in gilt yields have been a real gilt underperformance story, whereas actually what we've seen this time around, uh, to a certain extent, is gilt outperformance. So you know, yields have risen everywhere. Um, and that means that the UK on a cross market basis looks actually, relatively speaking, less cheap now than it did um, at these higher yield levels previously. Now, I kind of made this point last week on the call, but I mean, on the podcast, but, um, you know, my view is that the supply outlook will weigh more heavily on gilts than it will in the euro area in the UK and the US. Um, and there's a kind of risk premium that's still being applied, particularly from foreign investors um, to UK assets. And so gilts looking less cheap on a cross market basis doesn't really um, send a, a very strong buy signal, I don't think. Um, from a supply perspective, 
you know, that hasn't really changed all that much since we saw um, the previous peaks. If anything, maybe, it, you know, the supply risks are skewed even more heavily to the upside, just given how much higher uh, yields are kind of across the board, how much higher bank rate is now. Uh, that worsens the supply risks from a debt servicing cost. It makes QT more costly. Um, and, you know, to the extent that the political agenda hasn't really shifted, and that's been a reason why we think supply risks are skewed to the upside, um, there's perhaps just a little bit more focus on that given the uh, backdrop of the Tory party conference this week. Um, so all of those things to me suggest that, you know, actually there's less of a reason to think that buyers would return um, at these yield levels at the 10-year point of the curve. The longer end is a little bit different. I think we've reached higher yield levels than we've got to previously. And certainly that 5% level, um, I think, has been a bit of a psychological trigger for um, kind of domestic real money accounts to start looking at, you know, averaging in, if you like, to, to long end bonds, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we could see bounces higher in yield, uh, but but locking in that yield um, in the near term is, is starting to look attractive. So where does that leave us? Well, I guess at the belly of the curve, I think it's still quite vulnerable to higher yield levels. If we were to input market pricing for bank rate instead of what we think about the evolution of bank rate into our fair value model and some small kind of upside risks on the net supply numbers, you would get a fair value for gilts that is kind of 20-ish basis points higher than than where we think we or where we are now at 4.6%. As we've discussed previously, perhaps the model risks kind of... Um, underestimating that how heavy supply might weigh on yields just because it's calibrated on previously very different and much lower supply regimes with higher demand we think and of course the model doesn't really capture this effect of this kind of risk premium that needs to be applied to UK assets because of the kind of experience of of the last 18 months if you like so you know maybe that underestimates supply which puts us back at thinking maybe you know, 10-year gilts might need to be closer to something like 5% before investors sort of feel fairly compensated for those risks. Like I say, though, I think it does mean that the DMO are more inclined to shift their issuance shorter. I think that domestic demand perhaps returns at relatively lower yield levels than um, overseas demand does, and that domestic demand could well be concentrated at the longer end of the curve. So perhaps the combination of that kind of supply demand shift leaves the belly a bit more vulnerable to you know any significant further cheapening versus the long end of the curve and you could well see a kind of 10s 30s flattener here at, at higher yield levels and you, you already kind of touched upon what the dmo could do here but do you think we would get any other kind of relief or help from the uh, bank of england instead you know it took a long time well not many days, but quite violent market moves in September last year before the BOE intervened. Uh, and I don't think we're anywhere near back to, to those sorts of volatile conditions. Um, of course, you know, I've said for a long time on this podcast that I think QT quantitative tightening is an underestimated risk when it comes to the UK government's fiscal deficit and the way that that is being funded by essentially more supply. Um and, you know, there may well come a point at which you sort of get into this vicious circle that the BOE are selling bonds at such a loss that the government is then um, covering for by issuing more bonds that pushes up yields even higher and the BOE sells at even bigger losses. Um, the short answer is no. And what I really think we'd be looking for to kind of stop this sell off would be a change in investor sentiment from being considered that they're being fairly compensated for these risks rather than 
the major sellers of the market kind of switching um, up what what they're doing. We did get some stronger than expected data. I guess like inflation expectations were a little bit higher than expected. Uh, we had some you know revisions to the PMIs that that came a little bit stronger than expected. Uh, does that really change our view for the Bank of England for November or were they not impactful enough? But I don't think the risks are as high as the market is pricing right now. You know, we've talked previously about the risk of a hike being maybe 20%. Um, the data this week specifically, uh, we had upward revisions to the PMIs. I mean, the PMIs have been painting a much bleaker picture than the actual activities, you know, the the growth data that we've been getting. So actually the revisions up kind of just put the PMIs more in line with the um, hard data that that we have been seeing. So it still presents a fairly bleak picture for the UK economy, just perhaps not as weak as you know the the flash PMI suggested. Um, and on the decision maker panel, where we saw a tick up in inflation expectations when we were actually expecting a tick down, um, I think it's probably just worth noting there that the survey um, for that for those expectations was done prior to the inflation print where we saw a, a downside surprise on core CPI. And as we know, these inflation expectations really just tend to track spot inflation. Um, and so we would expect next month to kind of reflect that downshift in, in UK inflation that we've seen in the actual data over the last month. Okay, that's enough on the UK side, I think. Uh, over to you then, Joanne, where I already mentioned I stole your thunder a little bit and uh, put the high level uh, takeaway in there that we've already hit our target of 3%. Like I say, regular ri- listeners will know that that's been um, a long held view of ours um, in 10 year bonds. So, where to now, do you think? We've been pretty bearish on uh, kind of rates this year, as all of you would have heard, uh, meeting our 3% bond target this week. But I really do think there is kind of more to go. Our fundamental reason, I suppose, for being bearish over most of this year really has been this kind of demand and supply story where we had a year with quite a lot of supply and kind of demand side factors such as foreign investment, demand from pensions, insurance, banks, all seemed kind of slow to the to the equation and slow to pick up the supply. Um, I think for the rest of the year, even though the net supply numbers are fairly flat, we do kind of have this uh, ECB QT really adding duration for the markets to absorb. And I think another kind of factor on the supply side that's quite likely to weigh once again, over the rest of the year, really will be this question about if the ECB does plan to continue or increase their kind of QT for next year. And an obvious kind of increase in QT that does weigh on the back end of the curve. I, I think it's pretty important as well to, to realize for next year that the supply picture will be important in terms of fiscal deficits continuing to be elevated. Um, you know, we could get this bullish correction if we have our base case of an ECB cut in March. But I think the curve steepener view really does continue to be one that we will hold given that supply and the deficit picture for next year continues to be uh, fairly um, negative, I suppose. And I think besides the demand and supply pictures, obviously one of the reasons why we have this bearish momentum is really cross-asset correlations and correlations between, I suppose, the UK, the US and the euro as well. Um, The ECB has obviously done raising rates and that message is fairly clear uh, but I think as long as central banks are kind of pushing this high for long message we saw Lane talking about Table Mountain once again today um, as long as that message continues the markets will find it difficult to kind of think about cuts until we get a pretty, pretty big uh, revision or shift in the growth outlook 
the BMIs this week did kind of confirm that growth will be weak. Um, but I don't necessarily think the PMIs for this week were flashing uh, a, a too different story from what we've already known. So I do think we need the growth picture to kind of correct, to remove the bearish momentum we're seeing and potentially a shift in starts from central banks, which we are quite unlikely to see. Um, so this kind of high, high for long message really, again, does continue to be bearish for now. But a correction should come. I suppose in the short term, at least for the next couple of months, we do think this bearish momentum should continue on the back end of the curve. Um, but obviously looking forward to next year, uh, the market really should correct to uh, look at the growth picture a bit more. And it wasn't just about core, I suppose. We've also reached a key level this week in um, 10-year BTP bond spread. So the spread between a German bond, the yield on a German bond and the yield on an Italian bond, um, which we've been saying for a long time, the fair value is around 200 basis points. What's the skew of risk there, I suppose? And, and what are you looking out for to drive that spread from here? Yeah, so BTP bond got to 200 basis points. I don't really think that's been driven by these kind of in, these stories about deficits in the sense that Italy has revised their deficit upwards for next year. That's been a pretty well-known story so far. I don't think that's what's driven the spread. But Italy does tend to kind of trade with the species at other, at, at other rates, um, generally included. So this kind of bearish pressure really is uh, negative for the spread in some respect. And if we expect bonds to increase or, or move upwards um, in the next coming in the coming months, we also do expect that to have an impact on BTP bond spreads, uh, a widening impact to be specific. But that's not it on the BTP bond story, I think. Um, we obviously have these deficit pressures, debt levels are likely to remain elevated. And that, of course, is not a positive for the spread, even though we don't think that's impacting it at the moment. It clearly is a risk and pushes the balance of risks towards the wider spreads. Um, I think the real big story for BCPs will really be whether the ECB does decide to bring forward that in reinvestments of PEP. Um, the timeline is N24. We think that they could actually stop PEP reinvestments mid-24. And I think any kind of noises about this or any hints from the ECB uh, GC that we could actually see this um, timeline move will be negative for BTP bond. Uh, our model doesn't really isn't really able to capture these announcement effects. Um, so I do think that if we see uh, an announcement or any hints kind of end of this year that could be a negative for the spread, spread and we'll push it wider. Uh, so we're kind of targeting 210 in BTP bond by the end of the year. Um, uh, so I think there's quite a lot, I suppose, in the short term that will weigh on the spread. Uh, higher rates uh, in the bond space um, are deficit worries that are obviously not very positive, um, potential change in PEP timeline. There are positives as well. NGU funding is positive. Retail issuances are positive. But at this point in time, I don't think that's what the market will be focused on. I think it will really will be driven by PEP. Okay. Lots to watch for then. Okay, Jan, over to you. Yeah, so still the, the latest Federal Reserve meeting at the end of September. It curves like five studies, you know, popularly tracked measures of the of the shape of the yield curve have steepened by just about just on the thirty-five basis points, which is a pretty substantial move for uh, you know, basically two weeks of uh, of trading. Uh, we, we think that direction will continue. I mean, it has been pretty one-sided over the last few sessions, so of course, don't expect like a continuous uh, glide higher. But the interesting part is, and that is uh, something else that we've been highlighting, is that that curve can both bear steepen and bull steepen. Uh, for the most part, it was a bear steepener as yields uh, kind of uniformly moved higher, a particular driven by the long end. But 
we've today for as we're recording this, uh, we had seen the you know the long hits on off, but at, this, at the same time, the belly rally. I think curve wise, those moves can continue because as the Fed reached uh, a point where they either tell us we're done hiking or we're, we're basically at the end of the hiking cycle, maybe one more left. And, it kind of caps the how much what the upside in, in the front end can be in yields. Uh, maybe it's you know 10, 15, 10 base points a year or so, but it's going to be very, very hard for markets to price in a continuous, you know, like to price in what the Fed tells us effectively. We're either going to not cut or cut very, very uh, little in next year. Markets are always and understandably uh, much more dovish because than the central banks forecast because. Of course, the the kind of the Herculean task of the central bank is to persuade markets that they're going to tighten and inflict more pain than uh, what they, uh, you know, what markets want to believe in. It's always easier to ease and much harder to tighten it. Actually, see, uh, you know, growth data and, and labor market data turning around. People forget that the Fed has two mandates, not just one. And once unemployment starts ticking up, you can kind of start seeing uh, yields coming down. But, but from that sense, I think the front end is certainly susceptible to lower yields. Uh, we do expect data to slow down, but just like ADPs on Wednesday show, uh, you could get doubts, uh, you know, underwhelming numbers and in, in, in employment figures going forward unexpectedly. Uh, in all fairness, ADP hasn't correlated well with the official uh, payrolls data that we get from the BLFs, uh, at least for the past 12 months. But nevertheless, uh, we could have see a rather sudden shift. And once that happens, I think, uh, the curve can continue to st- steepen this time, driven by a rally in shorter dated yields. I think even at these levels, uh, you know, two-year yields at 515, uh, we're, we're a little bit below that now, but those are certainly pretty attractive, uh, you know, position, uh, pretty attractive levels where I would, I would look at, uh, you know, I would assume the risk reward to be significantly an advantage of, uh, uh, for longs, the carry is negative, but, you know, you have, I think we discussed this last week too, but, you're carrying something like three and a half, just over four basis points a month, uh, including the roll down. Uh, implied moves are and have been six, six and a half into your yield. So uh, it's not like we can cover the carry in a single day's rally, uh, particularly in, in uh, data releases. So I'm pretty kind of positive on short dated yields. I think the long end can continue to steep it through sell offs as well. As the Fed stays actually and doesn't move, I would imagine longer dated yields will converge more and more towards shorter dated yields. Uh, we have a lot of other issues that people have been uh, raising as concerns, such as supply uh, and you know other like pressures from foreign selling or so-called buyer strikes. Those can all add pressure to the long end, and I don't think it's now is the time to fight that because momentum definitely supports. Uh, yields towards uh, longer day yields moving higher as well. So super curves, and I do think real yields are attractive five year and out uh, on outright basis. And I do think short dated yield generally short yields have a lot of scope to fall from here rather than go up. Okay, thank you, Jan. That makes a lot of sense. All right, guys, that's probably enough for this week. Here's hoping to a less volatile week next week for all of us. Um, Thank you, both of you, for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for listening in. Uh, Just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.